and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who in light, light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stones Throw. <laughs> Oh, elections today, folks. Vote early and vote often, as my, uh, as my old mentor used to say. Uh, I, I got up this morning with the feeling I felt like Helen Thomas, you know? Sooner or later in this lifetime, you're bound to say something that gets you hung. <laughs> hung. For good, for I was trying to write a sympathy note to the poor woman. She's 89 years old, for Christ's sake. Uh, obviously, um, she misspoke. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't help, I couldn't help but laugh after half a century on the job. Uh, she really, well, she's in some deep doo-doo. I call that a senior moment to remember. I guess they can't forgive her for being that simplistic, is it? Anyway, poor Helen, um, sent her a sympathy card. It's very interesting why they decided to, uh, well, never mind, never mind. Um, in these terrible days, <laughs> the, what is it, the, um, the fall of, um, uh, a journalist just for, saying the wrong thing seems a little beside the point uh, I brought in a copy of the New Yorker as the editor of the New Yorker says there is no pain we will not publish I wanted to describe to you the picture on the front of the 7 June issue that's the one where all of the creatures covered with oil uh, the Seabirds, dolphin, fish, you know, um, pelicans, whatever. They're all sitting there in the congressional hearing room and the guy's raising his right hand to swear, <laughs> swear his penance, whatever it is. Anyway, um, oil dripping all over the place, I guess. I guess that's funny. No, that's not funny. I'm one of those people, um, who needs, I need metaphors, I need labels, I need to package the thing so that I can bear to look at it. You know how that is when you try to say the, the, well, to speak the unspeakable, the murk, the miasma that's haunting me. I listen to these guys trying to trying to explain the reasons why they sent the oil down to the bottom of the sea. Apparently, they didn't think there was anything down there. All these idiots who send things out into outer space, 
and a waste of time. We know that we have these these vast oceans and that they are worlds within worlds. And uh, obviously, we are willing to destroy them. Uh, as I said, I have to go with my little metaphors. The, the mermaid's grandmother is the one I'm talking to for weeks now. I love the mermaid's grandmother. She lives in a castle at the bottom of the sea, and she has 12, 12 oysters on her tail. This is to indicate her great rank. Yes, she's very important. The little mermaids only have a few clams. You know, I think you get one or two, and then if you're a princess, I think you get six. Uh, all my life, I have used the grandmother metaphor. I think the first time... I got it. I was a preschool child and I read The Little Match Girl in which the dying child uh, freezes in the street. It's a little Dickensian Victorian fairy tale. Uh, the little match girl keeps lighting the matches to warm herself and she sees the face of her grandmother. I would call that the ancient goddess. Uh, the one person who loved her and cared for her was the uh, dead grandmother who is reaching out for her as a very pretty picture loaded with Victorian sentimentality, I suppose, but so am I. Uh, I'm going to stick with, I'm going to stick with the Little Mermaid this week because I can't stand to talk about reality anymore. Uh, my older son has gone on a uh, trip. He should be in Barcelona by now. And all I could say to him for bon voyage was, you better get there. You better take a look before it's gone. Uh, I've had that feeling about New Orleans for a long time now, thinking how sad it is that I didn't get there before the, uh, before Katrina, before the end. But never mind. Uh, time doesn't exist, as we know. Uh, and if our world is coming to an end, well then, so be it. Uh, I was going to mention, before I forget, before I start The Little Mermaid, in the June 7th New Yorker, for those of you who are still obsessed with Islam, as I am, there is a wonderful article about this woman. She's written two books. One's called Infidel. I brought that to the station a couple of weeks ago. And the other one, the new one, is called Nomad. And I should spell her name. She's the woman of the hour. She's the Somali-born writer. Ayan Hersey Alley. A-Y-A-A-N. Hersey, H-I-R-S-I. Last name, A-L-I. And she's the one who thinks that uh, the West, yes, the secular enlightenment that we have here in the West is what's needed to uh, set the Muslims straight. <laughs> she even considers uh, persuading them to convert to Christianity, although she's not. Uh. Anyway, her latest book is Nomad, From Islam to America, from the Free Press. And I think maybe I can get my hands on that for the next marathon. Uh, anyway, this article is, well, it includes other voices, other people, and of course the truth, as always, is elusive. The article, the writer of the article, uh, 
seems to feel that she might, in some ways, be a loose cannon. Uh, last name, M-I-S-H-R-A, Mishra. Try it and see what you think. Um, this woman deplores her half-sister, Sarah, who's trying to continue to uh, do, what is it, do her work of liberation inside the Islamic religion. Check it out. I I will try to deconstruct it for another time. Uh, I guess we should... We should always be hopeful that the human race <laughs> is waking up. But I don't know if it matters at this stage. Last week I started reading The Little Mermaid by Hans Andersen. Back in the 19th century he wrote this very sad masochistic story about a beautiful maiden uh, mermaid, pardon me, who lived in the bottom of the sea. And uh, I think I used it as my my childhood metaphor in so many ways it fits the little mermaid uh, is intrigued by life on land whoops big mistake her sisters have more sense anyway uh, her five older sisters are allowed to go up to the surface of the sea when they're 15 years old each one in her turn Finally, the youngest and most beautiful, of course, the littlest mermaid, is 15, and she's going to be allowed to go up to the surface of the sea. And, of course, you know, she's going to fall in love with the prince. Uh, the uh, little mermaid's grandmother has told her what to wear and how to behave. Each of the sisters has found something interesting, up on land, up at the shore, but uh, basically they are homegirls. They would rather stay down in the bottom of the sea where each one has a garden of her own. And, of course, the story has metaphors and uh, pictures, all oh, these wonderful 19th century illustrations describing all the incredible creatures at the bottom of the sea. I heard one sourpuss commentator this morning he said oh well there's a lot of dead jellyfish coming up I ran screaming from the room uh, not just the jellyfish folks anyway uh, the sun yes the sun writes Hans Christian Anderson the sun had just set as the little mermaid raised her head above the sea all the clouds were still shining like roses and gold. And in the midst of the pale pink sky shone an evening star, bright and beautiful. There on the sea lay a great sailing ship, a three-master with but a single sail hoisted, for there was not a breath of wind. And the sailors were sitting around in the rigging and on the spars. And there was music and singing. And as the evening grew darker, hundreds of multicolored lights were lit. It seemed as though the flags of all the nations were waving in the air. The little mermaid swam right up to the stateroom window. Every time the water lifted her up in the air, she was able to look in through the crystal panes where there were ever so many people, 
all dressed up. But the handsomest of all, really, was the young prince there, with the big black eyes. He couldn't be much more than sixteen, and it was his birthday, which was the cause of all the festivity. Sailors were dancing on deck, and when the young prince stepped out, over a hundred rockets rose into the air, shone bright as day, so that the little mermaid became quite startled and dived down under water. Soon she poked her head out again. Then it seemed as though all the stars in the sky were falling down around her. Never before had she seen magic like this. She had never seen fire. Big suns whirled around. Clouds appeared. And in the distance, there was lightning. There was going to be a dreadful storm, and the sailors reefed their sails, and the big ship rocked at a terrific speed through the wild sea. The water rose up like a big black mountain, crashing over the ship of state. The ship. Dove like a swan down between the big waves and let herself be lifted again on the towering waters. The little mermaid just thought, "Well, <laughs> it was a nice trip," but the sailors did not think so. The ship moaned and groaned, and her stout planks bulged. The waves hammered against her sides, and the mast snapped in the middle like a reed. Water poured into the hold. The ship. Floundered on its side. Now the little mermaid could see they were in danger, and in fact, she herself had to be careful of the beams and bits of wreckage drifting on the surface. For a moment, it was so pitch dark she couldn't see the slightest thing, and then there was a flash of lightning, and everything became so bright, she was able to recognize everybody on the sinking ship. Each fended for himself as best he could. She kept watching, especially for the young prince, and she saw him as the ship broke up. She saw him sink down into the deep sea. At first, she was very pleased, for now he would be coming down to her. But then she remembered human beings couldn't live in the water, and that he would not be able, unless he were dead, to come down to her father's palace. Oh no, he mustn't die! So she swam round amongst the beams and planks drifting in the sea, completely forgetting that they might have crushed her. She dove down deep below the surface. She came up high again between the waves. Finally, she reached the young prince, who could hardly swim any longer in the stormy sea. In his arms and legs were. Beginning to grow faint, his beautiful eyes closed. He would surely have died, had the little mermaid not come along. She held his head above water. She let the waves carry her with him wherever they wished. In the morning, the bad weather was over. Not a shaving of the ship 
was anywhere to be seen. The sun rose up out of the water, ever so bright and red. It seemed to bring life to the prince's cheeks, but his eyes remained closed, and the mermaid kissed his high, beautiful forehead. She stroked back his wet hair. She thought he looked just like the marble statue in her little garden. She kissed him again, and wished that he might live after all. Now she saw land ahead of her, some high blue mountains on whose tops the white snow shone, as though swans were lying there. And down by the coast. There were lovely green forests, and in front there was a church, or a cloister. She didn't quite know which, but at all events, it was a building. And there were lemon and orange trees growing in the garden, tall palm trees. At the gates, the sea formed a little bay, completely calm but very deep, right up to the rocks. Where fine white sand had been washed up, there, on the white sand, she swam with the handsome prince and laid him there, made particularly sure that his head was resting high, high in the sunshine. Now bells started ringing in the big white building. Many young girls came through the garden, so the little mermaid swam out behind some big rocks that were sticking up out of the water. She put sea foam on her hair and her breast so that nobody should see her little face. She kept watch to see who might come to the poor prince. It was not long before a young girl came along. She seemed very startled, but. Only for a moment, then she fetched some more people, and the mermaid saw that the prince recovered, and he smiled at everybody round about. But he didn't smile at her out in the water. After all, he had no idea that she had rescued him. She felt so sad when he was led into the big building that she dove mournfully down into the water. She made her way home. To her father's palace. Always she had been quiet and thoughtful, but now she became even more so. And her sisters asked her、uh, what she had seen the first time she had been up above. But she didn't tell them anything. Many an evening and morning she went up there. She went to where she left the prince, and she saw how the fruits of the garden ripened and were plucked. She saw how the snow melted on the high mountains, but she never saw the prince. So she always returned home, more unhappy than ever. Her only consolation was to sit in her little garden and put her arms around her beautiful marble statue. The statue resembled the prince, but she no longer took care of her flowers, and they grew just like in a wilderness. Out over the paths, and they wove their long stalks and leaves in amongst the branches of the trees, so that the garden became quite dark.
At last she was unable to endure it any longer. She told one of her sisters about it, and so all the others immediately came to hear of it. But nobody else, uh, besides them and a couple of other mermaids, who didn't say a word about it to their closest friends, yes, nobody else heard of the prince. One of them finally sought and found out who the prince was. Ah, she too had seen all the festivity aboard the ship. She knew where he came from, where his kingdom lay. Come, little sister, said the other princesses, and with their arms about each other's shoulders, they rose up out of the sea in a long row, just in front of where they knew the prince's palace lay. It had been built of a pale, yellow, shiny kind of stone, it had big marble staircases, one of which went right down into the sea. Splendid gilded cupolas rose up over the roof, and between the pillars surrounding the building stood marble statues, statues that seemed to be alive. Through the clear glass of the tall windows, you could see into splendid halls hung with costly silken draperies, tapestries, and all the walls were adorned with large paintings. In the midst of the largest hall a great fountain was splashing. The water spouted high up towards the glass cupola in the ceiling, through which the sun shone down on the water and on all the lovely plants growing in the great pool. Now she knew where he lived, and here she came many an evening and night on the water. She swam much closer to the shore than any of the others had dared. She went right up the narrow canal beneath the splendid marble balcony. The balcony cast a long shadow out over the water. Here she sat and watched the young prince, who thought he was all alone in the clear moonlight. Many an evening she saw him sailing to the accompaniment of the music, sailing in the splendid boat with flags waving. She peered out between the green reeds, and if the wind caught up her long white silvery veil and anybody saw it, they thought it was a swan lifting its wings. Many a night when the fishermen lay with their torches in the sea, she heard them saying ever such nice things all about the young prince. She was happy she had saved his life when he was drifting about half dead upon the waves, and she thought how firmly his head had rested on her breast and how fervently she had kissed him then. He knew nothing at all about it. He couldn't even dream about her. Fonder and fonder did she grow of human beings, and more and more did she wish that she might go and live amongst them. Their world, she thought, was much bigger than hers after all. They were able to fly over the ocean in ships, climb high mountains up above the clouds. The lands they owned stretched with woods and fields farther than she could see. There was so much 
she would like to know. But her sisters couldn't answer all her questions, so she asked her old grandmother. The grandmother knew a lot about the higher world, the world she very rightly called lands above the sea. If human beings don't drown, inquired the little mermaid, then can they live forever? Don't they die like we do down here in the sea? Oh, yes, said the old lady. They have to die, too. Their lifetime is even much shorter than ours. We can live to be three hundred years, but when we cease to exist, after that, we, we just become foam on the water. We don't even have a grave down here amongst our dear ones. We have no immortal souls. We are never given life again. We are just like the green reeds. Once they have been cut, they never grow green again. Human beings, though, have a soul that lives on forever, goes on living after the body has become earth. The soul rises up through the clear air, rises up to all the shining stars. Just as we rise up out of the sea to look at the land which belongs to human beings, they rise up to the unknown, to lovely places which we shall never see. Why weren't we given immortal souls? asked the little mermaid sadly. I give all my hundred years of lifetime just to be a human being for one day and thereafter to have a share in the heavenly world. You mustn't go thinking about that, said the old lady. We are much better off and much happier than those human beings up above. So, said the little mermaid, I'm going to die then and float like foam on the sea and not hear the music of the waves or see the lovely flowers in the red sun. Is there nothing at all I can do to get myself an immortal soul? No, said the old lady, not unless a human being were to grow so fond of you that you became more to him than his father and mother. If all his thoughts and love were to be wrapped up in you, and if he were to get the priest to lay his right hand in yours with a promise to be faithful now, and for all time, then his soul would flow over into your body, and you would be enabled to share in the happiness of human beings. He would give you a soul and yet keep his own. But that can never be. What we regard as lovely down here in the sea, namely your fishtail, is the very thing they find ugly up there on earth. They don't know any better. Up there you have to have two clumsy posts called legs in order to be beautiful. Then the little mermaid sighed and looked at her fish tail unhappily. Let us be content 
said the old lady. I have to stop the story here, but I will continue. The Little Mermaid will, of course, follow her masochistic <laughs> dreams, the terminal romanticism in the heart of all womankind. Uh, she will become a woman, much to her sorrow, uh, and the sky god will contaminate the world. Yes, the world beneath the sea. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Radio Pacifica, anunciando de nuevo este año el comienzo de las elecciones locales para la mesa directiva de su estación KPFA. Ayude a mantener a KPFA como una estación vibrante y colabore en su diversidad al nominarse como candidato de la mesa directiva o votando en estas elecciones. Por favor visite nuestra página web a pacificaelections2010.org para más información o para bajar un paquete de nominación de candidato. O también puede llamar a su supervisor de elecciones local al teléfono 510-250-2471. Es 510-250-2471. Recuerde también de renovar su membresía donando 25 dólares antes del 30 de junio para así poder tener derecho a votar o a participar como candidato. Las nominaciones para candidatura tendrán que ser recibidas antes del 30 de junio. Y por favor, involúcrese. Su comunidad lo necesita. It is 3.30 here on KPFA or kpfa.org. Please stay tuned. Coming right up.